Welcome to Daily Audio Bible Chronological. I'm Jill. Today is the 12th day of December, and it is my joy and a real privilege to be here reading the Word of God for us with all of you in community uh, as well as individually. We are a collection of different faces, different skin colors, different denominations, different beliefs, different ethnicities, different socioeconomical statuses, different stories with so many similarities. So I celebrate those differences as I recognize the common thread that has brought us all together is the Word of God. What a uniquely beautiful thing this is. We're going to head back to the book of Acts today and read Acts chapter 20, verse 4, through chapter 23, 35. A bit of a long reading today. We are in the voice translation, so grab your coffee and settle in. There's nothing better settling in with a good cozy blanket and a cup of coffee than the Word of God. Acts chapter 20 verse 4. There was a large group of us traveling with him at this time and we decided it was best in light of the plot to split up and then reunite in the city of Treos. This group included Paul, a Berean named Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, two Thessalonians named Aristarchus and Secundus, a Derbian named Gaius, two Asians named Tychicus and Trophimus and Timothy. Some of us waited until the days of unleavened bread were over. Then we went to Philippi, where we boarded a ship for Troas. The other group left immediately on foot, passing through Macedonia. When my group landed in Troas, five days later, Paul's group had already arrived. We stayed in Troas another week. The Sunday night before our Monday departure, we gathered to celebrate the breaking of bread. Imagine you are celebrating with them. We are in an upstairs room with a gentle light and shadows cast by several lamps. Paul is carrying on an extended dialogue with the believers, taking advantage of every moment since we plan to leave at first light. The conversation stretches on until midnight. A young fellow named Eutychus, seeking some fresh air, moves to an open window. Paul keeps on talking. Eutychus perches in the open window itself. Paul keeps talking. Eutychus drifts off to sleep. Paul continues talking until Eutychus, now overcome by deep sleep, drops out of the window and falls three stories to the ground where he is found dead. Paul joins us downstairs, bends over, and takes Eutychus in his arms. It's okay. He's alive again. Then Paul goes back upstairs, celebrates the breaking of bread, and just as you might guess, keeps on conversing until first light. Then he leaves. I should add that Eutychus had been taken home long before, his friends more than a little relieved that the boy was alive. Again, Paul wanted us to split up. He wanted to go by land by himself while we went by ship to Asus. There he came on board with us and we sailed on to Mytilene. From there we sailed near Chios, passing by it the next day, docking briefly at Samos, the day after that, then arriving at Miletus the following day. This route kept us safely out of Ephesus and didn't require Paul to spend any time at all in Asia. 
since he wanted to arrive in Jerusalem quickly before Pentecost, he hoped. In Miletus, he sent words to the church in Ephesus, asking the elders to come down to meet with him. When they arrived, he talked with them. We will have many memories of our time together in Ephesus, but of all the memories, most of all, I want you to remember my way of life. From the first day I arrived in Asia, I served the Lord with humility and tears, patiently enduring the many trials that came my way through the plots of my Jewish opponents. I did everything I could to help you. I held nothing back. I taught you publicly and I taught you in your homes. I told everyone the same message, Jews and Greeks alike, that we must turn toward God and have faith in our Lord Jesus, the Anointed. Now I feel that the Holy Spirit has taken me captive. I am being led to Jerusalem. My future is uncertain, but I know the Holy Spirit has told me that everywhere I go from now on, I will find imprisonment and persecution waiting for me. But that's okay. That's no tragedy for me because I don't cling to my life for my own sake. The only value I place on my life is that I may finish my race, that I may fulfill the ministry that Jesus our King has given me, that I may gladly tell the good news of God's grace. I now realize that this is our last goodbye. You have been like family in all my travels to proclaim the kingdom of God, but after today none of you will see my face again. So I want to make this clear. I am not responsible for your destiny from this point on, because I have not held back from telling you the purpose of God in all its dimensions. Here are my instructions. Diligently guard yourselves, and diligently guard the whole flock over which the Holy Spirit has given you oversight. Shepherd the Church of God, this precious Church which He made His own through the blood of His own Son. I know that after I have gone, dangerous wolves will sneak in among you, savaging the flock. Some of you here today will begin twisting the truth, enticing disciples to go your way, to follow you. You must be on guard, and you must remember my way of life among you. For three years I have kept on, persistently warning everyone day and night with tears. So now I put you in God's hands. I entrust you to the message of God's grace, a message that has the power to build you up and to give you rich heritage among all who are set apart for God's holy purposes. Remember my example. I never once coveted a single coin of silver or gold. I never looked twice at someone's fine clothing. No, you know this. I worked with my own two hands making tents, and I paid my own expenses and my companions' expenses as well. This is my last gift to you, this example of a way of life, a life of hard work, a life of helping the weak, a life that echoes every day those words of Jesus, our King, who said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Once again, imagine this scene. As Paul finishes speaking, he kneels down and we all join him kneeling. He prays and we all join him praying. There's the sound of weeping and then more weeping and then more still. One by one, we embrace Paul and kiss him. Our sadness multiplied because of his words about this being our last goodbye. We walk with him to the ship and he sets sail. Kos was our next stop and the next day Rhodes and the next day Patera. We found another ship in Patera that would take us south and east toward Phoenicia. We saw Cyprus to our left and sailed on to Syria, landing at Tyre where the ship had cargo to unload. We found the disciples there and stayed with them for seven days. The Spirit moved them to tell Paul not to go on to Jerusalem, 
But the day came for our departure, and the whole community of disciples, including wives and children, escorted us outside the city. We knelt down together on the beach, prayed together, said farewell, and then parted company, the disciples returning to their homes, we sailing on. From Tyre, we docked at Polomias, where we met with the believers and spent a day with them. Then we moved on to Caesarea. In Caesarea, we stayed with Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. His four virgin daughters lived with him, each having the gift of prophecy. While we were with them, another gifted prophet named Agabus came north from Judea. He took Paul's belt and used it to bind his own feet and hands. This is a message from the Holy Spirit. Unbelieving Jews in Jerusalem will in this way bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the outsiders. Now we all joined in imploring Paul, we, his companions, and Philip and his daughters, everyone present begging him not to go one step closer to the city. Please, you're breaking my heart with your tears. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm fully prepared to be bound and more, to die for the name of Jesus, the King. We realized our persuasion was fruitless, so we stopped pleading with him and simply said, The Lord's will be done. So we knew what we were getting into as we prepared to ascend the foothills toward Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and led us to the home of Mnason, a Cypriot, and one of the first disciples with whom we stayed. We continued on to Jerusalem and were welcomed warmly by the brothers there. The next day we went together to visit James, and all the elders were there with him. Paul greeted them and then reported account after account of what God had done through him among the outsiders. When they heard his story, they praised God. Brother, we have a problem. You can see that we have thousands of Jewish believers here, and all of them are zealous law keepers. They've heard all kinds of rumors about you, that you teach all the Jews living among the outside nations to forget about Moses entirely, that you tell believers not to circumcise their sons, that you teach them to abandon all our customs. We need to deal with the situation since word will spread that you're here in the city. So here's what we would like you to do. We have four men here who are fulfilling a vow. Join them. Go through the rituals of purification with them. Pay for their heads to be shaved according to our ritual. That will show that the rumors are false and that you are still observing and upholding the law. For the outside believers, we've already written in a letter our judgment on their situation. They should not eat food that has been sacrificed to idols. They should not eat meat with blood in it or meat from animals killed by strangulation. And they should abstain from all sexual misconduct. Paul complied with their request. The very next day, he publicly joined the four men, completed the initial purification rites, entered the temple with them, and began the seven-day ritual purification process, after which a sacrifice would be made for each of them. The seven days of purification were almost completed when some Jews from Asia recognized Paul in the temple. They grabbed him. Help, fellow Israelites. This man is an enemy of our people, our religion, our law, and this temple. He travels around the world subverting our holiest customs. He is at this moment desecrating this holy temple by bringing outsiders into the sacred place. In this accusation, they were confused. They had seen Paul elsewhere in the city with Trophimus, the Ephesian, and they assumed that one of his current companions 
was Trophimus. It was too late to clarify, though, because word spread, and soon a huge crowd rushed to the temple. They held Paul and dragged him from the temple and shut the doors behind them. They beat Paul, and it was clear they intended to kill him. By this time, word of the uproar reached the commandment of the Roman guard assigned to Jerusalem. He led a group of soldiers and officers to the scene. When the mob looked up and saw the soldiers running toward them, they stopped beating Paul. The commandant took him into custody and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He conducted a preliminary interrogation asking Paul's name what he had done. Members of the crowd were shouting over each other, and the tribune couldn't hear a thing, so he ordered Paul to be taken back to the barracks. When they came to the steps leading down from the temple, the crowd was seething with such violence toward Paul that the soldiers had to pick him up and carry him. Then the crowd followed. Away with him! Away with him! They were just leaving the temple area when Paul asked the commandant, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? We thought you were that Egyptian who recently stirred a rebellion and led 4,000 assassins out into the desert. But if you speak Greek, then obviously you're not the person we supposed. No, I'm a Jew originally from Tarsus in Cilicia. I'm a citizen from an important city. Please, I beg you, let me speak to the people. The commandant agreed, and Paul stood there on the steps, motioning for the people to be silent. The crowd settled down, and Paul spoke in their native tongue, Aramaic. Brothers and fathers, please let me defend myself against these charges. When they heard him speaking Aramaic, a hush came over the crowd. I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia. I was raised here in Jerusalem and was tutored in the great school of Gamaliel. My education trained me in the strict interpretation of the law of our ancestors, and I grew zealous for God, just as all of you are today. I encountered a movement known as the Way, and I considered it a threat to our religion, so I persecuted it violently. I put both men and women in chains, had them imprisoned, and would have killed them as the high priest and the entire council of elders will tell you. I received documentation from them to go to Damascus and work with the brothers there to arrest followers of the way and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains so they could be properly punished. I was on my way to Damascus. It was about noon. Suddenly a powerful light shone around me and I fell to the ground. A voice spoke. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? The voice replied, I am Jesus of Nazareth, the one you persecute. My companions saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice. I asked, What do you want me to do, Lord? The Lord replied, Get up and go to Damascus. You will be given your instructions there. Since the intense light had blinded me, my companions led me by the hand into Damascus. I was visited there by a devout man named Ananias, a law-keeping Jew who was well spoken of by all the Jews living in Damascus. He said, Brother Saul, regain your sight. I could immediately see again, beginning with Ananias standing before me. Then he said, You have been chosen by the God of our ancestors to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear the voice of God. You will tell the story of what you have seen and heard to the whole world. So now don't delay. Get up, 
be ceremonially cleansed through baptism and have your sins washed away as you call on his name in prayer. I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying here in the temple one day. I slipped into a trance and had a vision in which Jesus said to me, Hurry, get out of Jerusalem fast. The people here will not receive your testimony about me. I replied, But Lord, they all know that I went from synagogue to synagogue imprisoning and beating everyone who believed in you. They knew what I was like and how I stood in approval of the execution of Stephen, your witness, when he was stoned. I even held the coats of those who actually stoned him. Jesus replied, Go, for I am going to send you to distant lands to teach the outsiders. They were listening quietly up until he mentioned the outsiders. Away with him! Such a man can't be allowed to remain here. Kill him! He must die! Chaos broke out again. People were shouting, slamming their coats down on the ground and throwing fistfuls of dust up in the air. The commandant ordered the soldiers to bring Paul to the barracks and flog him until he confessed to whatever he had done to stir up this outrage. Back at the barracks, as they tied him up with leather thongs, Paul spoke to a nearby officer. Is this legal for you to flog a Roman citizen without a trial? The officer went and spoke to the commandant. What can you do about this? Do you know this fellow is a Roman citizen? What's this? Are you really a Roman citizen? Yes. I paid a small fortune for my citizenship. I was born a citizen. Hearing this, those who were about to start the flogging pulled back, and the commandant was concerned because he had arrested and bound a citizen without cause. He still needed to conduct an investigation to uncover the Jews' accusations against Paul. So the next day, he removed the ties on Paul and called a meeting with the chief priests and council of elders. He brought Paul in and had him stand before the group. Paul stared at the council and spoke. Brothers, I have always lived my life to this very day with a clear conscience before God. Ananias the high priest signaled those standing near Paul to hit him on the mouth. You hypocrite! God will slap you. How dare you sit in judgment and claim to represent the law while you violate the law by ordering me to be struck for no reason. The nerve of you insulting the high priest of God. I'm sorry, my brothers. I didn't realize this was the high priest. The law warns us to not curse the ruler of the people. Paul noticed that some members of the council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees, so he quickly spoke to the council. Brothers, I am a Pharisee born to a Pharisee. I am on trial because I have hope that the dead are raised. That got the two parties arguing with one another because the Sadducees say there is no such thing as resurrection, heavenly messengers or spirits, and the Pharisees believe in all three. Soon these leaders were shouting and some of the scholars from the party of the Pharisees rose to their feet. There is nothing wrong with this man. Maybe he really has encountered a spirit or a heavenly messenger. The two parties were about to start throwing punches and the commandant was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces. So he sent in his soldiers to intervene. They took Paul back into custody and returned him to their barracks. That night the Lord came near and spoke to him. Keep up your courage, Paul. You have successfully told your story about me in Jerusalem, and soon you will do the same in Rome. 
That morning, a group of more than 40 Jewish opponents conspired to kill Paul. They bound themselves by an oath that they wouldn't eat or drink until he was dead. They told the chief priests and elders about their plan. We've made an oath not to eat or drink until this man is dead. So you and the council must ask the commandant to bring Paul to meet with you. Tell him that you want to further investigate Paul's case. We'll get rid of the troublemaker on his way here. Now Paul had a nephew who heard about the planned ambush. He managed to gain entry into the barracks and alerted Paul. Paul called one of the officers. Take this young man to the commandant. He has news the commandant needs to hear. The officer took him to the commandant. The prisoner named Paul asked me to bring this man to you. He has some kind of information. The commandant led him away so they could speak in private. What do you want to tell me? The Jewish council is going to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow under the pretext that there will be a thorough examination. But don't agree to do it because 40 assassins have bound themselves to an oath not to eat or drink until they've killed Paul. Their plan is in motion and they're simply waiting for you to play your part. The commandant sent the young man home with these instructions. Don't tell a soul that you've spoken with me. Then he called for two officers. At nine o'clock tonight, you will leave for Caesarea with 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. Have a mount for Paul to ride and conduct him safely to Felix, the governor. He wrote the following letter. Commandant Claudius Lysias greets His Excellency, Felix, governor. The accompanying prisoner was seized by Jews who were about to kill him. I learned he was a Roman citizen and intervened with the guard here to protect him. I arranged for a hearing before their council and learned that he was accused for reasons relating to the religious law, but that he had done nothing deserving imprisonment or execution. I was informed that a group was planning to assassinate him, so I sent him to you immediately. I will require his accusers to present their complaint before you. So the soldiers followed their orders and safely conducted Paul as far as Antipatris that night. The next day the horsemen conducted him on to Caesarea as the foot soldiers returned to the barracks. The horsemen delivered the letter and the prisoner to Felix who read the letter. The only question Felix asked concerned the province of Paul's birth. When he learned Paul was from Cilicia, he said, As soon as your accusers arrive, I will hear your case. He placed Paul under guard within Herod's headquarters. We might not have to take too deep of a look today to see the discourse between interpretations of the law and if we zoom way out, way out, it's likely that we could see that not too much has changed. Uh, maybe people are not being physically flogged and beaten over differences of beliefs and interpretations in the sphere of our reach and our touch. But I might argue that there's much flogging verbally much destroying of another person's spirit and even character in our differences. And the thing is, we believe we're doing it as a good work unto the Lord. Ouch. Oof. Oof. Let's just sit with that for just a minute. 
Jesus, forgive us for how we have verbally crucified our own brothers and sisters in Christ, our own brothers and sisters who are your children as much as we are your children. Forgive us and give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we would be love and light and that we could ultimately be like Jesus and look past the behavior and get to the heart of the matter, heart that is hurting, the heart that is broken, and that we would be people of compassion. Pray this now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Daily Audio Bible, that's home base. Check it out. Take a look around. That's also the app. It's free. You can download it. Speaking of app, if you would like to be a part of this Christmas vinyl initiative that helps the advancement of technology improvements going forward, they are costly. 25 bucks per vinyl. There are five vinyls to choose from, and you can purchase any increment of the vinyls, one through five. And do that while supplies last, and you can do that at the Daily Audio Bible website, also utilizing the app. If you would like to partner with the Daily Audio Bible, thank you so much for each and every partnership. We could not do this without you. If you're giving by mail, DAB PO Box 1996, Spring Hill, Tennessee 37174, or you can give by hitting the Give icon up at the top right-hand corner of your mobile device. Lastly, look for the Give icon on the website. That's going to do it for me today. I'm Jill. We'll turn the page together tomorrow. I look forward to it every day. Until then, love one another. Hello, Daily Audio Bible Chronological. This is Yutunde from London. Um, I'm calling with regards to some prayers. I really need prayers right now for my daughter who suffers from eczema and it seems to flare up at different seasons of the year and now it's just really bad and she's just finding it hard to sleep sometimes and it's just really affecting me so I'm just in desperate need for prayer for my daughter. Um, I'm also praying I'm also wanting prayer for direction in this season of my life um I just yeah I just find it so hard to ask for prayers but I feel like the Holy Spirit is just leading me to reach out and and you know ask you guys for prayers and I know this community is so powerful and and they're they're prayer warriors uh, amongst us so I really do need your prayers guys and I'm also praying in the background as well although I don't call as often I am praying for everyone and I am listening and yeah so please guys pray for me um, and thank you in advance all the best have a good day Hello, 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 good morning, my fellow brethren. My heart is so excited this morning hearing from a brother that calling for a praise report that God healed a sister of her pancreatic cancer. 
Well, Lord, we are so grateful. We thank you. We thank you. We return all the glory and all the honor to you. You are the doer. You alone we should take all the glory. You alone should take all the honor. We say thank you. And we use this our sister as a contact reaching every other brethren that are suffering from any kind of cancer lord you have done it before the bible said there is no private interpretation of any scripture the proof that you have done it for someone means that you're going to do it again and again lord we pray that every of our brethren that is suffering from cancer that your hand of mercy will reach out to them in the name of jesus we cause cancer and we decree that they are healed from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet in the name of Jesus. Brethren, I want you to know that for every prayer point that has been mentioned here, we are praying. Even if we didn't call to pray, we are praying on the background and that same God will reach out to each and every one of us in the name of Jesus. And I want to pray for every marriage, every troubled marriages, that the hand of God will reach out to you. Every marriages here that are the age of breakthrough, that the led hand of God reach out to restore in the name of Jesus. May God grant each spouse understanding to know that two can work together. Let your name be highly glorified. In the Hello DABC, this is Ted from SoCal. Wanted to send a uh, thank you for the prayers regarding the kidney donation process. Uh, especially uh, I heard Nicole's and Manita's and Kingdom Singer Daniel's prayers. Thank you so, so much. It's, it's actually something really special to hear you being prayed for directly when you're listening to uh, the DABC and hearing that family come around you. Uh, just a reminder on that or a refresher, uh, I am the donor to uh, my friend who would be the recipient. He's the one with uh, stage four kidney failure. And uh, right now, I'm actually taking a pause as this thorough process has uh, revealed a minor something on my kidney that I would be donating. So I'm going to take a step back and uh, pursue that with my own private doctor. Uh, in the meantime, my wife also was a blood match, so she's moving through on the process to be a donor uh, potentially to our friend. So prayers for my wife through that process. Thank you, family. Appreciate all the prayers.